Welcome to the Unacceptable Podcast. This is Mila here with Ken and a special guest today, Akiva. Um, Akiva is a student in philosophy at the IDC Herzliya, um, which according to an angry commenter on a Facebook page is a site of communist propaganda or something like that. Um, so we're very happy to have him here, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, welcome, Akiva. Uh, Akiva's written a few essays yeah. on issues of things like postmodernism and uh, uh, social constructivism and nationalism. Recently did a really interesting book review on the virtue of nationalism. Um, I haven't read it yet, but it didn't look appealing to me. So obviously I enjoyed Akiva's review of it. Um, how are you doing today, guys? I'm good. I'm Gucci. You're Gucci. We're out here, We're yeah. out here in quarantine. Yeah. How, I'm, all, how... I'm all the brands, all the luxury brands. <laughs> so, so you, so right now for you, it's the high holidays, right? Like you, or is it, no, that's not high holidays. It's Passover. high holidays is new year. That's New Year, right? Okay, so yeah. you're you're in the middle of Passover right now. Today, uh, yeah, in a couple of days it'll be in Passover, a couple of yeah. days. Okay, and today for the Catholic Church, it is Palm Sunday. Oh, so fuck. it's a very blessed uh, episode for us today. Uh, yeah. it's also extra blessed because today is the anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death. Rest in peace. Also, Lane Staley. And Lane Staley. Who's Lane so, Staley? Allison Chains. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. So, so I whenever I think of Kurt Cobain's death, I think of a, one of our dear friends in high school. He wrote a song called "I Want to Kill Myself Like <laughs> Kurt Cobain," <laughs> and uh, like our, the principal like <laughs> called me to his office to like talk about it. He's like, I'm very concerned about like your friend, <laughs> and I had to explain to him like our humor. Being like no he doesn't like he's not actually gonna kill himself it's just, we don't think it's a bit yeah <laughs> we don't think we hedge yeah. our bets yeah. yeah yeah so yeah i feel like i've had to be in those meetings also mm. like when i say i want to murder all people i don't actually mean i want to murder all people. yeah it's just like it's just a, it's just um it's a bit it's yeah. it's especially if you listen to a lot of metal it's like um yeah. i i remember in high school i was really into a song called people equals shit by slipknot oh yeah slipknot yeah, i yeah. thought that was the most like genius thing ever i'm like yeah people are shit yeah they really do have a point though it reminds me so there's this there's this like i don't even know how to classify them they're like kind of this experiment already experimental metal band called the body uh, that I like oh yeah I know and that. all of their album titles and songs are really depressing like mm -hmm. they have this album called No One Deserves Happiness. Um, and the, I think one of the ones is called like The World is a Cold Place and You Are Alone. Something nice. like that. I'm <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. It's like accurate. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they definitely got called into the principal's office. No, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when Ken and I were in high school and we came across like all these bands that had like songs like I Came Blood. And <laughs> Oh yeah, that's a cannibal corpse. Yeah, and we would go on uh, the ultimate guitar forums and say that, and then Ken would be like, "I'm 14, and what is this?" And he was literally 14 at the time, and being like, "What does that mean to like come blood on the?" And he would get banned from the ultimate guitar forums, <laughs> <laughs> like all the time. Oh man, I got yeah, that was sad. I really wanted to be part of that community, but I just wasn't cool enough. Mm. You didn't come. You didn't come enough blood. No. no. That's yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get the need for like shock value in music, and even in what? podcasting, like I get the need for <laughs> shock value. Um, yesterday, Red Scare had Steve Bannon on, mm. and uh, I I listened to it, and I actually I thought it was good. I I but a lot of people were upset about it, and I was thinking you know being a podcaster is kind of like being a musician like you need some constant shock value going on and so I kind of understood like I'm thinking like would I have Steve Bannon on our podcast like maybe I would but like I don't know maybe not I mean if I had a podcast I would yeah Yeah. just just to talk it out with him yeah, he's uh, yeah. he's definitely like questionable. It was we can funny. Talk about like Sith Lord ideology. I know yeah. he's Star Wars. There, so someone like tried to like so on the podcast they were talking about like his anti-Semitism allegations and yeah, he, like I thought you'd find this amusing, and then he st- so he starts going like, no, like I am the biggest supporter of Israel. Uh, I would like like my we're so pro-israel blah 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 and then he starts yeah. ranting about like the cultural marxists and <laughs> so that's that my favorite like, yeah. yeah i support israel is basically some of my best friends are jews <laughs> it's worse than that i feel like because yeah. it's like it, it's it's the same as being like i'm not islamophobic i support saudi arabia and it's like okay but like like i don't <laughs> like Right. It's like, I support you, but I also support the actions of a country that happens to share your culture. Yeah, exactly. And is is a questionable regime. That, like, speaks in your name. Yeah. I think that's an interesting Um, question, like, about, like, well, like, in the name of, like, when countries do things in the name of their citizens, like, to what extent am I, as a Canadian right now, like, my government, you know what I mean? So Kiva and I actually wrote an article a while back on um, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we were looking to do a comeback, I think, but um, we wrote about um, the sort of like media landscape in the US and how they pit like Islam and Judaism against each other and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, so like we, that's where would, where would you find this? Where would you find where would you find them pitting Judaism against Islam? Oh, so like if you look at like the way right wingers talk about Islam and Jews and stuff, what they do is they slam Islam for being, you know, terrible in a whole bunch of ways. The stereotypical things you can think of, you know, like anti women and homophobia and blah blah blah. None of which they care about domestically, but anyway. Um and then they'll be like 
and Jews should be pro-right wing because we support Israel against the Muslims who want to destroy Israel. Um, Is this like but, Fox or, or like Breitbart or? Oh, all of them. Okay. Like all those kinds of outlets, Fox, Breitbart, like, you know, Trump, Pompeo. Even CNN, and... to be honest, like Jake Tapper and those guys are very much like that as well. Um, yeah. And they do well, it a, a lot kind more of cynically. Like... Sorry, go ahead. I, I find that it's worse when, like, the liberals do it. Like, because the right-wingers, they're very, like, blatant about it. But the people like Tapper and those guys, like, the way they do it is they use liberal rhetoric to, like, paint, like, Palestinians as, like, like savage bigots. And them as, like, these civilized, enlightened liberals. So they'll yeah. be, like, so-and-so is, like, anti-Semitic to try and, like, portray them as, like, uncivilized yeah well it's like it's like more insidious right because like yeah exactly you're just like if you're just like you know team like white christian or whatever like trump and pompeo then you don't even have to play the game about you know actually this is a human rights concern yeah because obviously you don't care about human rights so no one believes it but if you're like a liberal person on whatever platform you're like Actually, the problem with these people is their lack of respect for human rights, and therefore mm-hmm. we should treat them as people that we don't actually need to listen to or treat like they have opinions worth considering or anything because basically they're all ISIS. So fuck it. Um, but also, we're going to give money yeah. to ISIS affiliates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I think, one of the biggest things is like, with um, homosexuality and homophobia and stuff like that. Um, The PA outlawed like homosexual acts a few months ago and I could see people like gloating about that. So the PA is the Palestinian Authority. They're like the, they're kind of like placed there by like through an agreement with like Western powers, Israel. Well, they, they evolved out of the original PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization and then after the Oslo agreements, which were supposed to be like the peace agreement in the 90s, but it was total bullshit. Um, Basically the, the PA, they're, yeah. the narc, they're the narcs of Palestine. <laughs> yeah, like the, um, they took some people from the PLO and some people from other things and they kind of combined it into this thing called the PA. Mm-hmm. And some of the people in the PA are like old school PLO. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't know, they're legit, right? Uh, and some people are just like total like opportunists so it's kind of a mixed bag you know yeah um well i mean the palestinians i know that are like there i haven't met any of them that like the pa like they seem to be very unpopular um, yeah and uh very like counter-revolutionary um and anyway so they outlawed homosexuality and, like, something that really disturbed me is, like, people were glo- gloating about it. Like, even, like, uh, what's her name? Deborah Lipstadt, who, like, is, like, one of the major scholars on anti-Semitism, was, like, yeah. gloating about this. And I was thinking, like, how unprofessional to, like, be gloating about the pain that is going to be inflicted upon LGBT uh, Palestinians. Um, Wait, why were they gloating? This- because it confirms their narrative of... of yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. exactly. There's this weird thing that happens where people who, like, at least in their home countries, right, are very liberal about, like, these social issues, rights of women, gay people, whatever, are, like, weirdly 
okay with it in other places when it confirms their idea that these people are bad, right? Yeah. So it's 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 not like oh they're actually happy about the fate of Palestinians under this system or like gay Palestinians or whatever. It's, they're not like yes, oppress the gays in Palestine, but they are like this is a helpful tool to explain why we should continue opposing the rights for Palestinians. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, the lives of queer Palestinians are like a casualty for this narrative and they're a casualty for the people. Like, it's almost like, you know, these groups like the PA and then these bigots, like the onlookers, they're like working together in tandem. Like they're not literally working together, but they feed off of each other in, in yeah. that respect. And so I was really disturbed because I saw all these like, you know, these liberal academics that were, you know, being like, oh, ha, ha, like, what do you BDSers think of this now? And I'm like, I think it's tragic. Like, it's really tragic. These people are already going through so much. Like, they're already dealing with the occupation. They're already dealing with like their just entire mobility rights, like but their dignity, they're, they're being stripped of their dignity by external actors and now it's like their own authorities are also just being absolutely brutal too yeah. Well, yeah what bothers me is like they apply a standard they would never apply to themselves right like in western countries people are like okay so we're flawed we made a lot of mistakes to minorities whatever but we're getting better and it's a process and whatever they're willing to give themselves like leeway right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether you think that leeway is like legit there, that is part of how people tend to process things yeah. in, you know, different Western countries. Whereas like, you know, these like oppressed groups or Palestinians or whatever are not allowed to have flawed societies because every flaw is a sign that they're like the devil. Mm -hmm. They have to be, um, per they either have to be perfect or they're, or they're out. Yeah. 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 And like, I've, I think, First of all, like this makes me think of two things. Like, first of all, I think of um, someone like Chelsea Manning. So, like, let's say like Chelsea Manning was Palestinian and Palestinians did that to her. Like, how would the or let's say like Cuba or like any of these any of America's enemies did what they did to Chelsea Manning, who's like a transgender woman who was put in a man's prison, who is like under the legal definition tortured. Um, for like literally revealing the truth to the public who is like, put in in jail again for you know not testifying against Julian Assange um, all of this is yeah. to like block free information if any other country did this like this yeah. would be like the U.S. would weaponize this to no end so first I think of that second I think of like how this is like kind of a colonial tactic like um I was reading this book for my thesis a few years ago called uh, Elementary Aspects of the Peasant Insurgency in Colonial India. And the author talks about how the Brits maintained colonialism in India through like a war of information. And they kind of did that by, um, they would like record anything that they interpreted to be as hostile. And then like, like they would just make that like look like the whole like that would be the, their whole picture of Indian society. And that like, they were the primary carriers of information from that society. And then, so everything would be through the lens of like the colonizer who was intent on portraying these people as hostile. And I think that like, that's kind of what you see with Palestine. And now it's changing a bit because now media is being a bit decentralized. 
and you're seeing narratives from new people. And I think also then some people can't handle that, but like it's kind of happening. Yeah, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> one, of the, right. one of the things I've thought of, of is like the only time I'd ever agree to get interviewed is if I get to bring my own camera and publish <laughs> the full unedited account online. That's because such a good idea. There's so many accounts of like three hour interviews being edited into five minutes, right? Like you were saying, to present something the way they want it to be. The seen. way they want to see it. And it's like whoever has like the power to control that whoever information. Edits. So on this podcast, yeah. it's you. It's me. I'm the... I'm the <laughs> The commissar of the yeah, podcast. the grand overlord. The grand heading, overlord heading heading the, the Politburo. Yeah, well KGB. Well, last episode, Ken begged me to put it up unedited, so uh, I basically did. And then he was I, like, "Actually, no." For, for I got super hammered last episode, and I was so obnoxious. <laughs> oh, it, it was, was great. it was a really funny episode, but it was like the next day, I just wanted to die. I only got half an hour in, but thank you for taking it down, Grand uh, Commissar. Like, like Kirk. Cole. I really want to hear the unedited audio now. Oh no, you don't. I don't think <laughs> maybe maybe we'll make no, that like a Patreon. We'll make it like a Patreon exclusive one day. Maybe like in payment, I'll get really high on an episode and like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Is there anything that? uh you've kind of observed like i mean you're there right now akiva so like you yep. kind of like you you you're right in the midst of it like what kind of insights have you gained from sort of you know you've been there for a few years now right yeah so i've lived in israel for six and a half years something like that mm-hmm. um i'm originally from canada so i'm a good old you know hockey loving something (laughs) not actually i super hate sports but you know there's maple syrup in my veins you know all that stuff um i bleed sugar um but i mean although that might just be because i'm you know a western person who eats crap um yeah so anyway um my family Okay, so it uh, depends on my history I give, right? I did a gap year in Israel, and then while I was in the gap year, my family decided to move to Israel. Um, mm-hmm. My mom, because she's super Zionist, and my dad more because he wanted kind of a change of life pace. He's not mm-hmm. a super nationalist person. Um, I actually just lent him Benedict Anderson, um, oh. and, he, and he's like, damn, this is good. It's um, yes, you're, you're converting. Yeah. yeah, he's like, he's got, he's sort of a, it's it's hard to explain. He's sort of like a conservative liberal. Like he has a lot of like left instincts, but he has these kind of hangups about certain ways he feel like the left is too forgiving of certain things or whatever. Interesting. Um, yeah. I find but he's like very skeptical of like, yeah, like big narrative controlling kind of stuff. And he's very individualistic. So he he's okay. he's kind of a weird guy, like in an Good. interesting way. Um, so anyway yeah my parents moved there and i was on the pod yeah (laughs) legit he would be like super interesting to talk to on the pod (laughs) i love my dad Um, yeah so too forgiving like what would what would an example of like too forgiving be in his his eyes so like um sometimes like people who think of all government transfer programs as just unqualified benevolence um, 
as opposed to like because my dad grew up really poor right uh-huh. um so that probably has some some part is part of it and he had to like work his way through school and stuff um and you know he eventually made it he got a phd he like you know first gen all that stuff but he like doesn't he's somewhat skeptical of systems which he feels like don't make people work hard um even though he he's like pro you know having a welfare state but he's a little bit skeptical sometimes of like specific instances where he feels like programs are too i don't know too too expansive or something yeah um or like you know uh there wasn't i mean this wasn't true of the whole left but there was a trend for a while of certain elements of like the feminist left kind of not critiquing um conservative muslim practices Mm-hmm. and like saying it's cool because like multiculturalism or whatever and my dad was kind of pissed at that um he knows that it's not like the whole left right but it was a certain contingent of people um, i always like i i found i found that argument to be like very like i i get what he's saying but i feel like it's almost like misplaced i think there is a left that is too forgiving of like conservative islamism but I don't think it's necessarily like the feminist. I think like I think with feminists like so, like they'll I think some of them are annoying about like the hijab because they'll just be like um like they'll kind of speak over both people who choose to veil and who choose not to veil and whatever and this that's a whole yeah. complicated it's a complex argument. issue. Yeah. Yeah. But it to me the ones that um have utterly just given way too much leeway are the kind of what I'll call the wuss bappin left. You know, the Twitter user wuss bappin. Um, he just <laughs> calls I know them. everyone yeah. an usidist. Um, so there's just this kind of sector of the left that is like very, um, they fetishize like protest. I've talked about this a little bit on the pod before. And like, um, they see any form of protest as like good and leftist. And so like, in Syria, like you have these dissidents, they, these leftists don't bother to filter through who the dissidents are. They just say Assad bad, which again, I agree. Like he is bad. I like hereditary family rule, complete shit of an idea. <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, this but, just like, in Mila is pro monarchy. No, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, no, but so like, I think that um, the sort of there's a lot of leeway being given to um like there is a guy that died recently um and there's a video of him literally pledging allegiance to isis like and <laughs> people like hailed him as a hero they're like oh yeah he's like an anti-government dissident um he was a football player he played guitar and i'm like he literally like wanted to murder all christians like let's chill out for a sec um i think that's where there's people are too forgiving yeah i feel like there's a strand of the left i usually call it the chomsky left in my head so all (laughs) y'all people who like chomsky can come at me um it's cool but like right so chomsky has defended the khmer rouge right yeah that's so regime because it's like anti yeah, it's like because it's anti-imperialist. It's kind of like a left-wing kind of weird opposite to the like imperialist right of like any regime that opposes western imperialism is okay 
because they because they're doing that regardless of whether they treat people well and have human rights and stuff but the khmer rouge like they weren't even against western imperialism they were backed by kissinger and like the cia that's what i find is like all these people like they pretend to be anti-imperialist for like their own ends like just as these islamist groups do they they act like first there's this clash of civilizations that the U.S. is ruining their lives, like the, the Muslim Brotherhood and all these other guys. And then they will still accept help from the U.S. to overthrow their government of choice. It's always the Islamists that sell out first. Um, and similarly, like it's all these like super extremist groups that sell out first as well. And so it's like, it's on the surface, like maybe prima facie, it's like, oh yeah, like they're anti-imperialist, but then they never are. They're always like, like this is what uh, Asif Bayat calls uh, self-serving anti-imperialism. And this is what yeah. I think is like, is like a kind of, like this is the issue to me. Um, so I don't think any of these groups, and they're all like, so many of them are subservient to Turkey as well. And like, yeah. just, yeah, I don't know. Chomsky's like always been like a weird Trotskyist kind of like, I don't know, this foreign policy. Like he supported intervention in Syria and it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, he, he has a lot of inconsistent stances that are sort of weird. Um, I mean, he's and people, old. Yeah, but also <laughs> people always like treated Sam. him like a guru, like he was this big revealer of truths because he wrote this one book about media. Um, I mean, he and, has, like, he's made points, but, like, he's not infallible. Yeah, you know? but, like, he's not, he's not more right than, like, any other commentator, you know. They, he, you know, people turn him into some sort of, like, you know, like he's he's some kind of weird like cult figure to a certain generation of left That's really like, i i can't oh yeah no like... the last time i saw him speak i'm not educated him at all but he he looked like he was like 95 talking it's like he's that, dying in that slow yes, way yeah. and there was like three students like just adoring him like so like <laughs> you said all right wingers are evil but some of them he's like no all of them are fully evil and they're like you're right you're right it was like the weirdest interaction <laughs> Dude, oh, he's just yeah. so old. Imagine being that old, like, and still doing politics. Like, that's nuts. And the thing is, is like, he's a linguist. Like, he's yeah. not, like, if you look at, like, his actual work in his field, it's very good. I used a lot of it in my undergrad thesis when I wrote about, like, yeah, Wittgenstein uh, and stuff like that. Like, it's good. Um, but, yeah, sometimes he says stuff that I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Um but yeah. that's that's the case for a lot of leftist intellectuals. And I think, yeah. again, like Syria was such a big point of like people being dumb and just being like, first of all, just being like, OK, well, uh, Trump it wants to pull troops out. So now I'm just going to this isn't like the left left now. I'm thinking like liberals who are just like always yeah. going to be imperialist anyway. But like they use this as an opportunity to be anti-Trump. I'm like, no, like don't criticize the one good thing he's doing. <laughs> like, um, but then well, anyway I, I feel like there's this trend in politics that isn't even specific to the left it's like a thing about engagement in politics where mm -hmm. most people don't actually do politics through identifying what their principles and values are and then judging the situation through that they just decide who they like and who they don't like and who who has yeah. their vibe right and so then they become incredibly inconsistent because they just support whoever's like kind of inside of some identity or, or, or self that they have that's like attached to a certain 
type of person or party or whatever, you know? So you'll have, like, this is my, one of my favorite things about, um, from surveys, um, where you'll have like, um, the survey will give people from a party the policy of the other party, but tell them it's from their party (laughs) and see if they agree. So like they'll give Democrats, Republican, policies and ask if they agree and tell them it's a democratic policy and they'll be like hell yeah um and vice versa um so it's all about like a sense of like sort of tribal loyalty it's not really about applying principles um that's one of the things i hate the most about politics i mean i hate politics in general which is why i'm kind of an anarchist but whatever Um, (laughs) but but like i think also when it comes to the context of the state is that like the Democrats and the Republicans, they all have very similar interests as people. Like they are all from the same kind of class and like they all have certain interests that they can all agree on and uphold. And especially like upholding US empire, like one of the most bipartisan things that the US uh, government does is imperialism. Like Joe Biden, who's the Democratic front runner was one of the main agitators for the Iraq war yeah so like he's going up against Trump who said the Iraq war was a mistake which is hilarious to me like no yeah like you're going yeah. right and you know you make me so depressed <laughs> when you teach me all these things I love it I I'm gonna like put yeah. that on my like uh, if I write a book that'll be on the reviews like Mila you make me so depressed I feel like that that's the vibe like Kurt Cobain. you guys is like is like Ken's just I'm just chill here on the couch and like yeah and, and Mila's gonna make coffee me or depressed. whatever and Mila's like dude the world is burning <laughs> shit. yeah this kind of <laughs> shit um but yeah I, so if I, I get drunk yeah. and then I yell. yeah when you Ken should, gets you drunk should, he yeah. yells you get should join the body episode. Mila such a pick-me-up you should join what you should join all those depressing like metal bands because you're such a yeah victim. yeah I know I know but um anyway back to <laughs> to the discussion um so yeah I think like can I ask a keep oh, sorry do you have no no you can yeah, I ask go about, for it can I ask about your you said you described your mom as a Zionist uh what like how how did the discussion do does your family talk about these things or like how does that dynamic work what does she believe so we don't spend like a ton of time talking about um, like the political situation in depth depth because like you can't like just survive as a family if you're yeah. arguing about like war all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, you come to like little truces, I imagine. Yeah. And like we have a lot of disagreements, you know, um, about lots of stuff and we, you know, we figure out how to get along. But yeah, we've had conversations about stuff. And I feel like over time, in a way, like moving to Israel was good for her because she saw what it's like on the ground and she didn't have some kind of abstract vision of like some sort of Jewish utopia. And if it weren't for that, like these like terrorists, then it would be all good, you know, and chill. So I feel like she's more moderated more of a time. She's sort of learned more about the Palestinian narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely like more on the right in terms of Israeli policy, but she doesn't have such a binary view of who's right and who's wrong, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So yeah, we've had like some good dialogues. We it used to be really hard for us to dialogue, and I uh, there was a certain period where I just refused to talk about the conflict with her mm -hmm. um, because I just did not feel like we were hearing each other well. Mm -hmm. um, that's my big thing about dialogue, right? Is like it's not whether I super disagree with you or whatever, but if none of us, if it feels like none of us are learning anything, yeah. then all this is is an exercise in getting mad. Yeah. Like, what's the what's the point I, of? I kind of Dude, I kind of like, say this is like what Mila does on Twitter. As much as yeah. I like love and admire all of her arguments, like like I find like this is a much more conducive setting to a conversation. Podcasting, yeah. yeah. I but yeah, I totally feel you. I mean, my parents and I like have a lot of political disagreements. I mean, mostly they're economic. Like when it comes to like foreign policy, it's fine. But yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. What you're saying is. Like, I, I keep hearing from a lot of, like, young Jewish people about this, like, how they're constantly disagreeing with their parents about Zionism all the time. And, like, yeah. I, I have a friend. It's kind of like, a generational shift, you know? Yeah, because, that's like, what it looks like. Post, like, post-World War II, uh, after the Holocaust especially, like, the boomer generation grew up in the shadow of that. Some of their mm -hmm. parents were Holocaust survivors. It's, like, their whole kind of mentality was about, like, preserving... Judaism because literally like six million people just died yeah yeah, yeah. um and there was kind of this idea of like you know and then Israel was attacked by all these you know Arab nations right and so there was this like sense of like sure you know being pushed down pushed at right um yeah but yeah like their kids were like ended up growing up in an era where Israel is not arguably under threat in a, in a, in as significant a way as it used to be like israel's extremely powerful player of the region at this point and there's right. no good case for being like you know this is an unstable situation and we're all going to be genocided any moment which is kind of what jews felt like in the 60s and 70s yeah i guess like what's confused me about this narrative is that like there's first this idea that like Israel's like a safe haven, right? But then I always see like PR messages from like the IDF and all these people who are just being like, this is what we have to go through every day. Like this is how unsafe we are. And it'll be like some Palestinian kid like throwing a rock at a tank and like just yeah. kind of, it's like so I mean it's like simultaneously trying to be like we're never safe, but then also trying to like be like, okay, every Jewish person should come live here. Well the idea I think is like we are safe in general and that is basically true. Um, except in like specific hotspots. Um, and that's also true within Palestine, by the way. Like I've been to the West Bank and all over the West Bank, including to Palestinian areas. Like unless you're in specific stuff, especially on the border, like that's where shit gets really hot. Because, um, you know, Palestinians will come and throw like, you know, really shitty little explosives or or or, or rocks and the soldiers will retaliate. And Lots of rocks. Up. Right. But like if you just live in like a village somewhere in Palestine, like, you don't not that much happens to you unless Israeli soldiers decide to show up but most of the time they don't like they're some, they're dealing with like hot spots so most people are fine on both sides but um in specific places where the like Israeli security state or you know whatever um which you know I'm not a fan of um decides to like police itself then that becomes like an area an issue so in that sense it is safe but I think the justification thing is like, it's safe, but it would be even safer if we didn't have to put up with this stuff. 
right and we're justified putting up with this stuff yeah so i think it's more like that especially because it actually is safe for most people including palestinians at least in the west bank i'm not i don't think that's true for Gaza. yeah i i mean i i don't know i i might like based on what i've heard from palestinians there is a lot of like they're very susceptible to like being harassed by settlers and like so there's that component but i think oh, for also sure the, i don't disagree the, with that part yeah but they're but, not like they're not like physically assaulted there are like bad incidents that emerge so, you know? yeah so you're when you're saying like see we're talking about like like explosive incidents where there's yeah like like, yeah. like there's not a literal war happening you know like like okay. war is happening gaza like people die yeah, gaza is you know? horrific i so it's, so yeah. that's more of my comparison Right. So I think like one of the senses like in which Palestinians are unfree in this context is uh, in like an economic sense as well. Um, and in the sense that like the blockades are impeding people. We had a, a f- Palestinian family friend who couldn't access a medical facility in time because of the border controls. Um, so stuff like that, I think, is like very... Is, is kind of like where like the, I gauge the sense of unfreedom that's happening over there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think honestly, it's like the only ways I've been able to like understand what's happening for Palestinian people is to like just talk to them. And I think the issue is that right now, like in the media, you never hear like Palestinians who are like in Palestine talking about what's happening to them ever. Like if you look at all these debates on like campuses and stuff, it's never with like Palestinians. Like, you have these panels full of like activists on whatever side, but none of them are, are Palestinian and they're always just like arguing on behalf of them. Yeah. And, I mean, that's true for both sides, at least in the campus space, right? Because most people who go to like American or Canadian college campuses are not Israeli or Palestinian. They're just people engaging with issues that are far away from them. It's not so different than people who fight about like, I don't know, Honduras or Guatemala. Like it's a bunch of Canadian kids dealing with politics that are not connected to them. So it doesn't surprise me that that's the case. It's more objectionable to me on like CNN, where they can actually choose people. They can hook them up through like Zoom or whatever, you know. Yeah, um, they don't. have them on. So I'm more bugged about that than like campus stuff, which is a bunch of kids. (laughs) That's true. I I think, yeah, campus stuff is always overblown. Um, But yeah, I think, and I mean, I guess it's true also that Israel has a lot of voices that are not from Israelis, like they're from like evangelical Christians. Um, By far. So I feel like there's been this weird decision that that a lot of, I mean, you know, there's no such thing as the Jewish community, right? There's just different Mm -hmm. people. But certain people in the Jewish community have made where it's like, okay, so we recognize that these evangelicals are a little bit creepy and whatever, but we're willing to sacrifice it for the sake of our like foreign policy goals um Mm. and just be like well the apocalypse will never happen because obviously that's a stupid thing to believe so whatever yeah yeah yeah, exactly Um, so they're just instrumental yeah and also like it's in 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 terms of like policy terms right like evangelicals are not dedicated to to like actively oppressing jews in america uh, they might create a climate of rhetoric, which is what right. you and I have written about, that then leads to people believing in, like, white Christian supremacy, and then, you know, then they shoot up a synagogue, like, literally. But they're not trying to enact, like, legislation, you know? So mm-hmm. their perception of how evangelicals, of what kind of threat 
certain uh, like white Christian nationalism poses to the Jewish community is like it's is framed in a particular way because it's really on a, on a level of rhetoric and kind of discourse and the way that people cult, are culturally attuned to things, you know. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. definitely like it's complex. Like I didn't know that like cultural Marxism was like an anti-Semitic term until like very yeah. recently. Like How's I just. I Akiva could probably either. explain it. Yeah. What cultural Marxism? Yeah. yeah. So cultural, there, there's, there's kind of a couple different ways that places where it emerges historically, and they've kind of gotten conflated a lot. So the original term for cultural Marxism was based on the idea that some communists were Jews, and a lot of right-wing conspiracists in like Russia or you know different parts of the West would be like these Jewish the communists. <laughs> yeah, these Jewish communists are going to um, take over society. Like basically, you know, a classic anti-Semitic like Jews are manipulators thing, but just applied to communism. And so there was this idea of like the Jewish Bolshevik revolutionary person that then got combined later. So that the Bolshevik stuff is like 19th century. Then later in like the 20s, you had this Marxist. Um, like philosophical school called the Frankfurt School, um, which was the application of Marxist ideas to culture and understanding how like class oppression happens through, you know, movies and music and different processes of cultural production, stuff like that. Um, and some of those people also happen to be Jewish. And part of what the Frankfurt School talked about was the ways in which a sort of like conservative bourgeois culture prevents revolution from happening including uh, inclu not just in terms of economics but also socially right so those guys were very like 60s free love kind of stuff uh -huh. um and very pro like just you know more social liberalism and so what happened is the jewish bolshevik thing of revolutionaries plus the cultural change ideas that were not framed in terms of judaism but in terms of like secular marxism were understood by the religious right as some sort of Jewish conspiracy to transform the culture into like some sort of liberal leftist, you know, pro-gay thing. Oh, um, no. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. it's like, and it's some sort of like, you know, attempt of like Jewish manipulation of like good Christian conservative society um through communism and like social liberalism and stuff which are all kind of conflated in their heads yes um, it's really incoherent because they, they don't really understand also the difference between liberalism and communism um mm -hmm. so that's like a very brief sketch of it um yeah. it, that's in terms of like the hardcore people who actually think like the jews are controlling things mm -hmm. and then kind of you know because ideas happen at a certain level and then like people know about them in kind of a vague way like levels down as like a meme or whatever you know, every, things get really diffused. Mm -hmm. So there are people on the right who have this idea of like cultural Marxism, which is like the left is trying to have a perspective and that's bad and that's mm -hmm. cultural Marxism. But what they don't realize is that they're actually using a meme that was intentionally anti-Semitic in origin. Mm -hmm. um, and when they do that, they're reinforcing certain kinds of ideas about Jews for people who know what it is. Um, and, like that, and, and, and the use of the word, right, calls attention to that idea and then people are going to Google and then they will end up at the actually racist stuff. But that's accidental most likely, you'd, you'd say? It's... Because I, I didn't... Yeah. I, I'm, I'm maybe like half as engaged as politics as you do, but I had no 
idea. I've never followed that, you know, wormhole. I mean, I think I feel like it became really big when like Jordan Peterson started using it. Yeah. Like that was kind of like when and like and, and I don't think he was intending to be like anti-Semitic. I think like like he's told his followers to like stop being anti-Semitic and then they got mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I like, mean, Jordan Jordan Peterson is not very well educated on a lot of like the cultural history of different political ideas yeah. among many other things that are not pure psychology mm-hmm. um which he actually does have a good publishing record on on psychology um, yeah yeah on like evo psych and stuff like he does know what he's talking about um, yeah yeah you know um, um but yeah with cultural marxism i really like yeah. i just didn't like know about it until yeah. like like i made a joke about it once and then a friend was like no dude yeah. like this is like an actual like nazi thing I'm like oh my god yeah yeah it is the nazis <laughs> had this whole thing about how you need to vote for us because the cultural jewish marxists are going to take over germany it yeah. was like in their propaganda um yeah that was how i was really i was reading a book about the pope and mussolini and like how like that was kind of like how mussolini got the pope on his side was to be like cultural marxism yeah Jews are taking yeah. over kind of thing and it was really tragic actually like I was reading how it like led to a ton of suicides in Italy like like in their Jewish communities because like of this kind of so I was like damn like this rhetoric has a really dark history yeah, um, it does. I'm curious if the Pope had the internet if he'd be like but wait I read this other article <laughs> he's like on 4 imagine that's funny to imagine the Pope trying to wade through fake news for three hours <laughs> yeah. and, I don't know what to think I wonder yeah. what, like, Pope what if, Francis, if he uses the internet. Yeah. Yeah. What if he's just, like, a massive troll online? Like, he's, like... What if he, like, goes into guitar puts, like, forums and he's, like, I come blood? Oh, my I God. I can see it. The, the Pope in, uh, in Mussolini's time was... Which Pope too many Pepe memes. Uh, Pope Pius. Pius, okay. yeah. The, like, se- second or something? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There's, a, there's been a bunch of them. Anyway, he was, like, legit anti-Semitic, like, pro-Nazi. Um, well, he yeah. had, like, reservations about the Nazis, but he definitely had, like, anti-Semitic feelings because he was worried yeah. that they were all communists and that they would, like, take over the church. Yeah. Well, he didn't like advocate for the Nazis to like go kill the Jews, but yeah. he he like specifically advocated for the church not to take a stand on Nazi, you know, yeah, so decisions and atrocities, yeah, so that they could kind of like do their thing and like just step back and not criticize, not engage, right? Because potentially, like at the beginning of Nazism, there was a place for like churches to be a sort of ideological pushback. Mm-hmm. And like have people affiliate see Christianity as something that's pushing them away from nationalism, but the all the churches folded, and and like decided that like Hitler was okay. Mm-hmm. I found it like so horrifying when I read this book, just because I was kind of surprised that I didn't learn about it in Catholic school like at all, and I just kind of thought like, don't we need to come to terms with this history? Like, yeah. I, I even heard about the pedo stuff more than this, which is weird. Like, I'm kind of like, damn. Like, unfortunately, this stuff is, like, stuff I know way too much about because oh, yeah. that was my... So I went to Jewish, um, like, schools for, like, 90% of my education. Um, I was in, like, public school for, like, a year or two, but then I was in Jewish schools for most of it. So, like, obviously in that environment, they're like, and then they did this to us. And then they did this to us. Yeah. Screw them, you know, um, 
because there's there's a very like hunkered down mentality often in the Jewish community of like we've been beaten down a lot, mm-hmm. um, which like I mean not unreasonably, but yeah. it does create a certain climate of like fear and suspicion of outsiders, which is not healthy. Yeah, um, I kind of get it though. It's yeah. like it's so, like being like, traumatized, you know. Yeah, so like I know way too much about like Pope Pius and the Crusades, Pope. the Spanish oh, Inquisition, the Holocaust. Guys, I've been like worried because I've been playing on this Tetris forum recently and it's really fun. Like, I love it. It's like you play like 40 people at once. But like, I started to get suspicious because like I saw like, so there's like some of the usernames, like one of them was like Goyam Crusader. And then I was like, um, and he was like one of the main like mods of the forum. And I was kind of like, uh oh. And then, um, what does that mean? Just real quick for me. Goyim is a word that Jews use to refer to non-Jews. It literally just means nation or nations. Okay. Yeah, but um, like a lot of like online Nazis like use that okay. term. Yeah, because they think of, they think they think Goyim means like some kind of special epithet, like it's supposed to be the N word or something. It's not. Mm. It's just how you say <laughs> nations in Hebrew or Yiddish. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Like that's the language Jews speak, so that's what they're gonna use. Yeah. No. So so, but that's like one of the like four chan Nazi things, or like they they yeah. they refer to themselves as that. And so then I was so I was like, oh, but then I was like, okay, maybe it's just this guy. And then I see like on the chat to the side, this one guy's like, I got fired from work today, and someone like oh no is it because of corona and he's like no i got fired for sexual harassment i'm like oh so i'm thinking like there might be something wrong with this forum and then i'm playing and then all of a sudden like a huge pepe comes across my screen and i'm like oh my god i'm on a nazi tetris forum (laughs) they've infiltrated everything i like it's nothing sacred like it's nothing and help them out well i want to play tetris so i'm like is it ethical like i what if i just avoid the chat like just stick to my game but then i'm like i don't know like is that like you're not you're not contributing to nazism just because you're playing a game well i feel like like yeah i I, it's just like oh man (laughs) i I need to put out like a psa appeal like can we not red tetris of this curse <laughs> yeah you know, can we not come together as a community well, i'm like, ha- like of how? Tetris. also like tetris is originally like like russian like maybe i should start posting like like pictures of like soviet sniping nazis or something no yeah. i'm just kidding um, no, you should post like pictures because like a lot Lemila, of those guys were jewish Pavlichenko. also you should pick mm-hmm. the ones that are specifically jewish yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, like yeah, yeah exactly yeah um uh, apparently lenin was part jewish and, yeah i heard uh, that yeah and uh someone was using that to like they're like oh well lenin was part jewish and bernie's jewish so that's <laughs> proof that bernie's going to implement communism in america and i was like i mean that'd be cool but <laughs> i don't think that's gonna happen um yeah. so would yeah you, the- wait are you would you identify as a communist akiva no, uh, I, so labels are hard, man. Um, the label I usually use is left libertarian. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do not consider myself a communist in any, in any way. Um, I am pro markets, but not capitalism. So you see the way I put it. Um, and a lot of my friends do too. If you check out like the C4SS site or the Bleeding Heart Libertarian site. Um, and it's like, you know, standing for like standard things you've probably heard libertarians say or seen on the internet. But 
trying to connect it to many of the valid critiques that the left has about the way current capitalism works or about trying to make sure that libertarian social institutions address concerns about social justice. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I still believe all the same things about how people own themselves and you can do heroin if you want to, you know, and all that Woo! good stuff. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Yeah. My, my favorite, so I think I told Mila this, my favorite, Mila like, appreciate freedom. Yeah. my favorite, my, Mila, my you don't favorite, appreciate freedom. Sorry, go ahead. Freedom! Maybe, maybe let the migrants flourish, but I believe yeah. in the freedom to say, if they, if they would like I'm a little bit of a, yeah. that's fine. A bit of a uh, kickstart yeah. to compete in the market. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, um, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try I'm and like hustle stressing. them, right? Yeah. Like if they want it. Yeah. So what, um, this is, this is actually sounds very interesting so to me. Akiva, so yeah. wait, hey. Yeah. So like Mila and I agree about like a lot of stuff actually, mm -hmm. except for like certain aspects of economics, I think. Um, what, what, what would you be able to quickly expound upon markets like without capitalism? Cause that's okay. Sounds... Yeah, sure. Yeah. I can give you like the brief rundown and you know, if you want to like, you know, actually do some reading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can even just give you like a three minute video even cause like the, there are people who are into that, like make them. So yeah, that'd be um, good. So the idea is that, um, as a libertarian, I stand. I like believe in private property, and I think that people should be able to trade and sell stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I support every way that the current system organizes the, that idea. Mm -hmm. So there are all kinds of aspects of the way that markets in a lot of countries um, are set up that disproportionately favor entrenched interests, the wealthy, corporations. Um, and actually represent a form of government-supported privilege. Um, and I use the, pr the word privilege very distinctly, both because I think it's true and also because it kind of ties in the way that I think about libertarianism through like a leftist lens. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea is that in a libertarian society that we're trying to push towards, we would eliminate these structures that uphold certain kinds of inequalities and distortions in the market that create oppression and privileges for certain people and those kinds of things, different sorts of carve-outs for corporations. Um, you know, you can think of lots of examples. Yeah. Um, so the idea is that I'm for markets, I'm for people owning stuff and selling stuff, but I'm not necessarily for a specific arrangements of regulations or whatever. Mm -hmm. well, well, thank you, well said. Yeah. yeah, Akiva, essentially, he's so pro-open borders that uh, he has a, people come into his house all the time and uh no i'm kidding akiva wrote an article was this on your nationalism article yes okay yeah. so um i wrote i wrote this review of a book that like this conservative intellectual put out recently um defending nationalism it was supposed to be like kind of the intellectual defense of trumpism you know, of like why nationalism is philosophically legit, and like he actually does have like degrees from like Princeton and Trump stuff. University, and okay, yeah, he actually is educated, yeah. But yeah. his beliefs are like totally ridiculous, and he distorts a lot of like basic ideas in history and philosophy in order to prove the points he wants to make. Um, and I just thought it was a terrible book, like truly horrendous. Um, so I wrote a review of it because it annoyed me a lot because it was coming up a lot in like debates and you know right people on the right were referencing it or whatever um so i wrote a review about saying it why i thought it was terrible 
um, and kind of through that review, I revealed my utter hatred for nationalism. It, it kind of like bleeds off the page, you know? Um, it's probably the most polemical thing I've written because I don't have a super polemical style most of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so, which I think Mila can probably attest to. Um, so I so, think I, I read that and I think I remember you talking about, oh, what was it? Like the need for identity. Um, I mean, like half of my articles are about identity. Okay, <laughs> That's okay. One of my interests. Okay. Um, yeah. What 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 would you? This is tough, but like a positive sense of identity that that doesn't become. I mean, obviously that's a huge question, but do you have thoughts about yeah. that kind of thing? Because that's yeah. yeah go ahead. I, I feel like we're kind of at least within like oh, here we go, like liberal arts, like an extreme fetishized version of individuality that like isn't really how people actually mm. want to like orient themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's true. Like, I think there's a I mean, I don't know if it's it's literally true as like um, a thing that happens, but I think there's like a theoretical version of liberalism that sort of doesn't take into account the need for community, mm -hmm. um, at least like in theory, like in academia, maybe. Um, like so that's definitely like if you read Rawls, like that's kind of how he talks. He talks very in like a very animistic style, like mm -hmm. this, you know, rational choosing deliberative agent. He's not talking about like actual people. Um, what, um, what? But so I'm tired. Yeah, I'm casting academic shade. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but you know, only shade. only like three nerds will care. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, continue. Yeah. So so yeah, I think like in terms of like actual real life, it depends on the kind of identity that you're talking about, right? So nationalism to me is inherently oppressive it's a form of an artificially created joining of people who happen to live in the same geographical area and saying that they all somehow have something in common when they totally don't and that therefore they are justified in prioritizing themselves above everyone else um, in terms of resources um, human rights and that they might even be justified in conquering some other random group of people because those group of people aren't part of their like national tribe. So can I, yeah, can I, I remember reading yeah. this actually from when I was trying to do my little bit of research. But I would I would make a sharp distinction between prioritizing themselves and invading other people's. If if you understand why that would be, you know what I mean. Like I think that's different things. I don't yeah, know I if mean, that's played out that way though. Like what what happened? I think what happens is is it's not inherently true that every nationalist group will decide to be imperialistic, mm -hmm. but what does happen is that there's nothing within the ideology of nationalism that prevents imperialism because there's no concern for other people. So if a national group decides that the people next door they want their stuff or whatever, there's no principle within nationalism that says that's bad because the only thing that matters is their group. I don't. That's kind of that's very total. You know what I mean? I, I think there's definitely room for a, a, an enlightened self-interest that is still benevolent towards the community lar more largely. I, I would just like, can you explain what that means? Like, I'm not sure what, I, what you're trying to I, say. I guess I, I start to think about like almost tropes of like private property, like, like basically one of the best things you can do for your community is to look out, to a, to a large degree for your for yourself first and to try and that's kind of what i'm getting at so i'm not sure that all 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 nationalist uh feeling is totally 
going to mean that you don't care about the other. I think it's, I just don't think that's quite true. I think it, it, what it I might be saying. talking in, in t- crazy, like, um, abstract terms right now, but I'm just trying to get my own thoughts sorted, but go yeah. ahead. Nila. I, I think that it's more like, I mean, this is my perspective is like, there are some nationalisms that I understand more than others. Um, so like, to me, if you're proud of like being Irish, that is like different than like being proud of being white. Cause like, I feel like being like whiteness itself isn't like well-defined enough. And then that like white nationalism has always in practice been used to like subjugate another group of people because it's like premised on a superiority of an artificial group that has Mm. been like artificially created to be privileged in that respect. But when it comes to like third world nationalism, like that's like being used instrumentally to like counteract like colonialism or imperialism. We've talked about this. Like, it seems like Mila, we, you, you, in contrast to me who, who also, I totally in practice buy into a total, like, ultra individual cultural thing but you don't have you don't have a lot of group identification like you kind of said that to me and and what what my instinct would be as as crazy as it sounds that every every single group a person can be inclined to identify with you might as well foster a positive identification and 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 leave it there than to try and get rid of it because you think it's dangerous does that make sense yeah yeah no and I, I agree like in the sense of like you know it's it's nice to like gather with your culture and like you know like like I like um like some Lebanese cultural festivities are really fun right like that's fine and I think that fosters a sense of community but I think that's different than like um ones that like like for instance like there's no white nationalist tradition outside of political subjugation like there's nothing that like white cultures like, or there's nothing that, like, out of the people that come from countries that can be construed as white now, because they weren't always construed as white, but mm-hmm. there's nothing from these groups that, like, have been um, anything more than, like, pride in, like, an artificial form of domination, which mm-hmm. is different than having, like, a cultural tradition. So, like, having a cultural tradition as, yeah. like, an Irish person or, like, as a Canadian or whatever. I mean, Canada, I feel like it's really, it, we don't have any sort of cultural tradition. Like, we're settlers on the, but, like, the... I don't, know, I don't know how long it takes for something to be considered a cultural tradition. Yeah, like, but... what is Canadian culture? Like, well, it's artificial, right? Like, this is why I try to make distinction between identity and nationalism right? Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense to have a specific identity based on a religion or an ethnic group, like people that you're descended from and things that you do, like songs or food or whatever, you know? Um, and saying that you have some kind of, like, special right to stuff and domain over something um, that, um, you know, that you can then force other people to kind of go along with. Right. So if you look at the history of nationalism um, and like the nerd reference for this is Benedict Anderson's imagined communities. Mm -hmm. Most nations in the world are not like one ethnic group deciding to be in a place and that's where they're from. It's a bunch of people who are very different from each other, united by some kind of larger authority, like a state or kingdom or whatever. And then there's like a system of propaganda and schooling and whatever that kind of educates them into being this thing called France or England or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they're all, most nationalisms are artificial. 
Um, there are very few nationalisms that are like genuinely ethnic and originate in like a single group of people. Um, although even those nationalisms I think are dangerous because they're about the idea that, of priority. So it's like one thing to celebrate yourself and another thing to say that your identity is kind of the main value that you should hold to. My experience with a lot of nationalisms, and this is something I experience especially like living in Israel among Zionists, is that they don't just say, okay, so it's important to be Jewish. They say, being Jewish is so important that it's the main affiliation in life that you should have. That's mm -hmm. how you should orient yourself. You know, so the most important people that you should focus on are Jews and you should deprioritize other types of people who are not Jews and um, think about the things that you're doing in life about whether they serve the Jewish community in some abstract sense or not your job and you know, you're volunteering and all that stuff. Um, so it, it becomes very dangerous to me because it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Borg. I don't know, I'm a Star Trek nerd, so I make these references, um, you know, like swallows up everything and like assimilates yeah. it into its like orbit. That's kind of what nationalism does. It makes itself like the ultimate end goal of life. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the point of nationalism is that you're part of an organic collective whole, this abstract idea called the nation, and none of us really exist except within this larger group. Um, it's not just like I believe in my community. It's that I only really exist as part of some kind of like mystical, you know, tribal thing um, that we call Canada or Israel or whatever. And then nothing else is as important as that. Um, this is also why I'm not a big fan, more academic shade of Rousseau, who basically talks about people in this way. And is anyone okay like just as a tangent i don't think anyone's like a fan of russo i've never met anyone that's like i like like i love reading oh russo. i have really i just feel like everyone hates him like he's like yeah. a really hateable guy um as a, like as opposed to like augustine who's kind of like russo but he's he's such a sad boy that you feel kind of bad yeah. um but well, but augustine's more focused on religious stuff anyway yeah, but to to your point, I think when you mentioned like nationalism in Israel, I thought that like the nation state law was really the culmination of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so to our listeners, uh, do you want to explain the nation state law? Yeah, so um, some some brief background and it's, it's sort of a lot to summarize, but Israel doesn't have a constitution. Mm -hmm. um, they never made one. There were too many. One of the things that people also don't focus on, but this is true for all groups, is like Jews are not a monolith. There are a lot of different kinds of Jews. And so it's just been really hard to build a constitution because there's just so much diversity in the Jewish community. You know, very religious people, very not religious people, Jews from the West, Jews from the East, Jews from Africa, all that kind of different, you know, social divisions. So Israel doesn't have a constitution. Um, in the 90s, they decided that in order to perform for the judicial system to work better, um, they needed laws that they could use as sort of um, underlining principles to interpret um, and make judicial decisions. And these are called the basic laws. Um, and they're things like, you know, everybody has the right to, you know, dignity of person and kind of things that you would expect, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's like four or five of them. Um, and so it's not really a constitution, but they're laws that are kind of in precedence for decisions. Um, it's not quite the same. Um, and then adding to that, there was a move by the right in the last 
few years to add another basic law, which is um, like Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people. Um, and kind of on its face, it's not like the most insane thing to say, because like it's like France is the French nation, you know, that's like mm-hmm. the tech, that's like how it was sold, right? But the substance of the law entrenches certain kinds of inequalities by not making sure in explicit language that minorities have the same rights. Um, It doesn't say they don't have the same rights. It's not like, and you can't do this if you're Palestinian, but it doesn't ensure that they can actually make claims um, Mm, about certain things. Um, And this is also, this is a common thing in Israel, um, in Israeli law, unfortunately, to make sure that they have access to things and that they are, they have protected status um, under the law and that kind of thing. So over time, it got watered down. It's not quite as bad as it was initially because there was a lot of debate. And, you know, Israel is not just like one, you know, it's not just the Likud block. You know, Israel has diversity. Um, But that was the problem with the law as it went through. I don't remember exactly like how it got played out. I think they ended up, they did end up enshrining some like actually, actually articulated provisions for protection of minority rights. But the purpose of the bill was to say that Israel belongs to Jews and Jews are the people that matter and whose rights should be protected and and to de-emphasize the rights of other people. Mm, yeah, and I saw they were like removing Arabic as one of the official languages. Yeah, that didn't succeed. Yeah. Okay, that didn't succeed. I was gonna yeah. joke, like I'm like, yeah guys, I get it. Like like when you when you fail your Arabic test, because <laughs> it's like a really hard language. So yeah. I was like, maybe like the people in schools were pushing for that because they were like, it's too hard. Tell us it's too hard. I don't want to do it. Yeah. But yeah, it is a good example of like the way that nationalism makes your group the most important thing, which is what right. really concerns me. Not or, like, can Jews do Passover? You know? Right. It gives you like a tunnel vision kind of, right? Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah. Like when I think about nationalism i tend to agree with you on all like these fronts i think where i kind of deviate is when i think about like affect theory and like counter affect and like nationalism as a counter affect so like when like pan-africanism for instance makes a lot of sense to me just Mm -hmm. because it's like they're like under colonialism you have like you're being told that like you're worthless that like you are inferior they like take down every component of you, like whatever, like right. they just, they like this is what Fanon talks about, you know, they kind of strip you of like your being. And then like, I think that then there's a sort of instrumental purpose of nationalism in these kinds of contexts where it's like, like you, you have this sort of pride. And I, I don't think that it's like necessarily being like, yes, like we are the superior race, blah, 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 blah. But it's more like, um we have been like stepped on and like now we're gonna like unite and like self-affirm that like we are worthy and like we are here and whatever and but shouldn't like, every group do that but like i feel like every group has a different history do you know what i mean like i think that it makes but, sense but wouldn't we want every group to foster the most positive identification they can but like how, like for instance like how would white people do that because whiteness is not really like very 
Like it That's true really... for blackness also, right? Like Pan-Africanism is an artificial concept based on just the idea of colonialism. There's nothing else that unites Africa in a meaningful cultural sense because Africa right. is made up of so many different tribes and, you know. But, but here's, like, here's I think, I think but the, the purpose view, of the Pan-Africanism. Of others, though, can, sorry, can I, the view, the, the view of others will affect the way people view themselves. So any group that they are inclined to identify with, they should foster a positive identity. Any group which others would be inclined to put them in, white people, uh, African people, they might as well, it's, it's less dangerous to, posit, to foster a positive sense of identity than a negative one. But I think like when you're black, like you're always unambiguously black. But when you're white, like that always changes. Like whiteness always shifts. But yeah, I'm not here to like shifts. present a theory. Like I don't, whatever, however you want to define whiteness, people are do it every day and it's going to affect the way white people view themselves. And it's I guess there are some people that are like unambiguously white. Than negative identities. But yeah. like, I mean, whiteness, whiteness does change in context, right? Like, so if you look at the history of immigration to North America, it used to be that the only people that were actually considered white were, were Protestants, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like Anglo-Saxon Protestants, right? Wasps. Mm -hmm. um, and if you were Irish Catholic or mm -hmm. Italian Catholic or Jewish um, or anything that was like too ethnic or whatever relative to that, you were like yeah. not white. Like literally you were, you were like Jewish. That was your thing. You were not white, yeah. even though literally my skin is white. Yeah. You know? um, so there's a, it, there's a real joke a, in there, yeah, but the Irish get a really thing. raw deal. Like they weren't white and then they just in time for a white guilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just in time. I mean, yeah. I feel like still though, like the Irish, like in Ireland that are like struggling against like British like they do have an inferior status in that respect it's just like here and the thing is about like in Canada is that like a lot of us like including me like we might come from cultures that aren't necessarily coded as white but like as individuals we live day to day being seen as white right like if I'm walking down the street I'm not going to look suspicious to like a cop even okay. though like my culture like in the media is definitely not portrayed as like white like it's yeah. or like it's you know but no well, one's gonna look at yeah. me and think terrorist <laughs> it operates on different dimensions right like yeah. part of it is about how you physically look right because mm -hmm. you're then easily identifiable as part of a group right that's why like hasidic jews get attacked more than people like me right know? because they look jewish um same thing with like muslims with hijabs and stuff mm -hmm. uh, um so part of it is like can you be identified? And obviously if you have dark skin, that's like right off. Um, and then part of it is cultural. Like how much of your culture are you demonstrating? Because mm -hmm. um, well, like race yeah. is a cultural concept. It's not a biological one. Right. I mean, like there's, I, I, I like kind of more like what Charles Mills says. Like he's like, yeah, like there's like a biological component in that like your looks are definitely an impact in how you experience racism, but there's also a cultural component and there's always cultural reasons why certain races are, are created and demonized as such like there's always like a securitization of of sort of things right like so like the the non-whiteness of like middle eastern people wasn't really emphasized until like like 9-11 post 9-11 i would say like More or less, I, yeah i mean there was stuff before but like i think especially you know like you become more co i think people became more like cognizant of it 
And I think also like this, you know, you see people that get attacked about 9-11 for like revenge for 9-11. And it's always like, like most of the time, it's not most of the time, but a lot of time it's like Sikhs. Like they're not even Arab. Yeah, because they look Muslim, (laughs) because they have have turbans and people like Muslims wear turbans. Yeah. 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 And so it's like you, so I, I, I think it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's like hard to like try and be like, okay, like each group needs to like work with each other to like find something positive. I get like, if it's going to be to serve a political end. So like with Pan-Africanism, it was serving a political end, like fighting like European economic dominance in Africa. Right. Like, it's like, it's not so much like, it's, I don't even think it was like a, you know, like I, I just wouldn't compare it to like, the kind of nationalisms that like America had. like I think that there's a way that we can look at them differently and same with like um like there's a lot of nationalisms that are like in response to colonialism and they serve a sort of tool of consciousness yeah. raising um to agitate like against colonialism yeah I, I I agree with that on that um that dimension um, in the sense that from a practical point of view you need some kind of concept to unite people to push against an external force, right? Yeah. But you're still always playing with fire, from my point of view, because nationalism is an inherently new form of dominance and violence and exclusion within itself about who fits into the national group, who doesn't, um, what are the values that we support, you know, and often leads to mistreatment of minorities or whether they're like, you know, racial or religious or sexual minorities, you know. Um, so it's, like pragmatically, I understand you need like a unifying concept, but I also get really scared and worried about that stuff. You right. Know, like that, that's right. literally what Zionism started as. Zionism started as the Jews are being killed by pogroms in Russia. So we have to do something. Didn't it and start with like the Dreyfus affair? In no, that's way later. That's way later. Oh, okay. That, so, so that no, that that's what um, made that's Theodore Herzl. Her- yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Zionism had a bunch of different contributors. Herzl is the most famous because he really led to the establishment of Israel in the place where it is, and he created all these deals with the British um, and the French and stuff, and like really led kind of the. He's kind of like the Zionist Lenin or whatever. Like he really made it happen. But that's um, what I mean, though. It's like he there are like, but Zionism as a concept predates Herzl by like at least fifty years, seventy five years. Like I don't think Zionism would have been realized in the way that it was without British and like British colonial power, right? Like the Brits played a huge role in it. Whereas, like I feel like when it comes to like third world nationalisms, it's the opposite of that. Like it's like against. It's like the sub, like subjugated people against the power, uh, like a a dominant power, not working kind of. with the dominant power. I mean, the Brits were actually in opposition to Zionism for a long time, um, and there was this whole campaign, you know, of like Jewish terrorism, bombing right. British British establishments in what was then Palestine to get them out because they wanted to take over the country. But so they definitely kind of, enabled it, like with Sykes Picot and like Balfour. well, Sykes Picot, but Sykes Picot wasn't about. Israel it was about the whole Middle East yeah that's true but I do think that that kind of like like the carving it up enabled it then plus like I, I guess not Sykes Pico but like Balfour would be like an example of them like enabling yeah yeah 
No, I, I don't disagree. There were like forces within the British government that were supporting the establishment of a Jewish state there. I just don't think it was like a unilateral, like the Brits are pro pal, pro this new right. Jew, yeah. Jewish Yeah, I mean, country. there was like the terrorists. Yeah. I, yeah. I that. So like historically. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay, I, guys, yeah. I have to, from my own piece of heart and mind, I have to try and articulate something here. Okay. So identity is inherently positive, as dangerous as it is. I, I believe that almost from like a theological, I, I try and affirm the goodness of things. Um, and any attempt by authority to diminish or get rid of identity won't work. So the policy should be to affirm at the level of every level of an individual's identity to the whole person, the, the goodness of every level of their identity. Okay. You're coming to my TED talk. That's, 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 <laughs> that's the articulation. Yeah. That Sounds I, good. That's very wholesome, you know? Yeah. Affirming every person, like, gets me right there. Yeah. In um, a theological sense, too. Yeah. Damn. Well, yeah. There, there's that's no, your Palm Sunday. There's no, there's no evil. Palm there's, Sunday. There's no, there's no yeah. there, evil isn't a, a thing, it's yeah. an absence of good. Oh, hashtag deep. That's hard hashtag blessed. Yeah, deepest, yeah, deepest yeah. Go. You're throwing the imago day all over this house. Yeah. The yeah. so, what do you mean by that? Evil is the absence of good because I feel like there's like immoral actions that are like not passively immoral but like actively immoral. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I yeah. have no. I have. I'm spent. I'm utterly spent right now. I have no answer <laughs> for that. Okay, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. I, I, in other news, I recently saw this tweet about a Passover Seder for Christians that has now been dunked on yeah. <laughs> on Twitter. Like, yeah, more hegemony. Like numerous times. Yeah, yeah. that's really funny. I, There's this uh, whole cultural trend of like Christians adopting Jewish things because like Christianity is supposed to be the fulfillment of Judaism. So like they can just like take bits and pieces from our culture and like claim it as theirs. Um, and kind of like, it's like, it's different from like stupid debates about cultural appropriation where it's just like, I felt like wearing something from another culture. What's the big deal? Which is obviously like a stupid critique. Okay. You know, that's, yeah. That's, but that some people actually do advance on Twitter. So like, you know, um, the I think more in, like intelligent problem of, of cultural appropriation is like yeah like when you claim it belongs to you rather than like you're just borrowing from it um, right so that's like and that's where you get kind of a notion that cultural appropriation is actually a form of theft and not just a form of like sharing so like that's like okay. Christians um you know doing Jewish things and being like actually we're the new Jews and like we have your okay. identity now that, I feel like, like that's an American yeah. thing. Like, I haven't seen that here in Canada much. I don't know about you, Ken. But, well, like, Canada's more secular, generally, so. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I've never seen any, like, Jews for Jesus stuff here. I saw that a lot, like, in this, like, Mike Pence, I remember, after the Pittsburgh shooting, he, like, got, yeah. like, a, a, like, a rabbi that wasn't even, like, a proper, like, Jewish rabbi. He was, like, a Jews for Jesus guy. <laughs> Yeah. And uh and like <laughs> but yeah, I never see that here. I just like always I find it kind of creepy. 
I think it I depends wonder. on the part of Canada. Like one of the main Jews for Jesus offices is in Toronto. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I actually know one of the people who works there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my sorry, god! Jews for Jude. Sorry, Jews for Judaism. I should say. Um, okay. Jews for Judaism is like the is like the Jewish community anti Jews for Jesus group. Oh, um, okay. So they would. Yeah, they wouldn't be in Toronto if they weren't trying to counter like missionary activity in that city. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I What is Jews for Jesus? I'm totally out of this loop. Jews for Jesus is a Christian group that tries to convert Jews to Jews to Christianity oh. um, by claiming that basically you can still be Jewish if you become a mm. Christian. And what they do is basically practice Christianity but with kind of the trappings of Judaism, like they wear some of the the clothes that Jews wear when they pray and they do um, like Shabbat Sabbath services um, or like, you know, other Jewish rituals as a kind of like, you know, it's like a, you know, video game skin, right? For like Christianity. Yeah. Um, basically. Um, yeah. It's like window, it's like window dressing um, of like, yeah, like we're, we're Jews, but we just have, happen to believe in Jesus and like you're still Jewish look at us doing all these Jewish things um, the problem is is that you're still changing a the basic thing that makes Judaism not Christianity which is right. the worship of Jesus okay. hold up what's up Meg? not right now I'm doing really important intellectual work <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister wants me to have her set up a tent and I'm like not right now <laughs> we're podcasting yeah <laughs> I, I, I think the stealing thing happens in other contexts also. Just sorry, I just had that thought. Like, right. Um, like um, when, uh, so like rock and roll, right? Was in what it was like a white thing, but it starts from the blues, which is a black thing, and it's basically white people saying, "Oh, we own the blues now. Actually, we started this whole thing." Right. Oh my God! Like, yeah, that's you know. like the Eminem song. So yeah. like um, the worst thing since Elvis Presley. <laughs> Yeah. You don't know what yeah. I'm exactly. Talking. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Elvis, Elvis, like, would would like do covers of like blues songs, and like yeah, never yeah. tell anyone that they weren't that they that they were created by a black right. artist, and be like, these are my right. songs. Yeah, and, and I don't think great like, it's, like feel well. But I think like I get what you're saying. It's like the context there that makes it offensive because like black people were like se- like second class citizens in the states, like literally, like that was like in the time when they there's like segregation and like yeah. they were viewed as like inferior in the US public eye and then they come up with something and then they don't get credit for it and instead yeah, like and someone else gets credit for it like that yeah that's shitty yeah yeah and then the like post facto justification for it is like oh but we made your like culture popular but it's like but nobody knows it's our culture mm-hmm. you know black people yeah. response you know, yeah you know, yeah uh, so if there was no oppression, would cultural appropriation be okay? It's a good question. Um, I guess. But like probably, that's a weird yeah. hypothetical. I mean, I'm there's a lot of forms Working of cultural appropriation. There's, there's a lot yeah. of forms of cultural appropriation yeah. that I find to be like okay. Like yeah. like if someone wears like uh Well, any, some of the coolest some of the coolest art forms are like cultures meeting and people yeah. stealing from each other. Yeah, um, I think yeah. like yeah. I mean, when it comes to like my culture, I do not care. But 
Unless, yeah. like, it's, my, like, hummus. Like, just stop making brownie <laughs> batter hummus. Well, another thing that occurred to me is, oh like... Oh, my God, Mila. I feel such a connection to you right now. <laughs> fucking, fucking, like, chocolate hummus and, like... I don't like brownie batter hummus. This is, like, a McDonald's... I, yeah, this is, like, a McDonald'sization of food. Yeah. yeah it's, like, terrible. No. Like, that's yeah. offensive. But, like, but, yeah. Like, straight yeah. Like, my problems with... <laughs> Oh geez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ken's making when, the sign when, of the cross. When cho- yeah, when chocolate when when they put the chocolate and I'm like full communism now. Yeah, that's it. That's enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's oh my god, that's the worst. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, like yeah. for the most part. So yeah, I see. And when it comes with like Christianity and Judaism, I think again, like it's offensive because it's like recently, you know, like Christians were like, like literally driving. Jewish people out of their homes in Europe and then now it's like oh but we're gonna take these like trendy parts and like practice it and whatever yeah I think for some of them it's like not intentionally like yeah of course supposed like not intentional I a lot of them I think think of it as a way of like kind of getting to like the Jewish roots of Christianity of like feeling more connected to their faith but they don't realize that because Christianity has been an oppressive force two Jews for like literally 2000 years doing that has a lot more significance than just you relating to your faith. Right. Yeah. But people don't know the history a lot of the time. I mean, when I, like I said, like when I went, I grew up in like a Catholic school, I didn't really know about how Christians treated Jews throughout the years. Like, I just didn't really know. I don't know, Ken, if you, like, knew about it, like, or read about it. No. It, it wasn't There's really until... I, I Like, I remember one time I... We had I'm just these... like, I, I don't, I'm just here, man. <laughs> well, we, we, we had these... Um, our family friends over, and their son asked him to go to this, like, Christian summer camp, and their our family friends are Jewish. And they, the dad just freaked out and he was like, absolutely not. And whatever. And like, he was so scared that his kid was going to get like forcibly converted. And I didn't really get why he was so like paranoid about it. And then like later I realized it's because there's a history of like Christians trying to like forcibly convert Jews, especially when I read this thing about Italy. So then I was like, oh my God, like, how did I not learn about that? That is horrific. Um, I feel like people have less context for it in like Canada and America because mm -hmm. like there's such multicultural societies and like even though there is like a Christian dominance it still doesn't it's still not as like hardcore as it would be in like a lot of European countries where there's like literally a state church and you see Mm -hmm. all these images everywhere of like different saints and like heroes and it's all like very Christian associated Um, and also, like, a lot of European countries are very ethnically homogenous. Like, it's all a bunch of white, like, Nazi-looking Swedes. Um, <laughs> Ken's you know. trigged. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's just a funny thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, they are yeah. more homogenous. I mean, now I think yeah. they're, they're, there's more refugees flowing in. and they're, Yeah, they're, for sure. They're reacting very awfully to it. Um but I mean, that's another. Yeah. I'm just trolling. I love yeah. you guys. Not too looking. Yeah, shout out to my Goyim. What? What? <laughs> um, yeah, no, but but anyway, yeah, I, I think like it, it's, it's good to learn about this stuff. Like, even if you're like part of a group, like that's 
advantaged it's like more painful to learn about it but like I'm glad that I have you know because I'm like okay like this is knowledge yeah I think it's just good to get out of your sphere you know like I don't know anything about the Armenian genocide like Mm -hmm. I probably should like it's a thing that happened in the world oh yeah that and that's why I think like I'm gonna talk some shit here but that's fine um for the course (laughs) but like I yeah I think Armenian genocide is one thing people are so ignorant about and like I mean I grew up with it because in I, I grew up knowing about it because in Lebanon there's a ton of Armenian refugees that are there from the genocide they're very they're like fully integrated into Lebanese society like they they're and they're usually very successful as well like they're great people um and we have some family friends who are Armenian um my ex is half Armenian and uh so we learned a lot about it but in like a lot of people I know here don't know anything about it and like now you have like so now I'm about to talk shit so the young Turks they're they're a progressive media news station their guy that founded it wrote an essay denying the Armenian genocide he retracted that but he still hasn't changed the name of his uh news network and so the young Turks what is his name Cenk yeah yeah Yeah. I think it's Cenk I think it's it's Cenk that's how you pronounce it because it's got a little like symbol thing above the C yeah anyway I mean sorry Cenk but like you're like (laughs) but like the the thing is is like a lot of people are like ignorant to that like they don't know that this station is named after people that perpetrated a genocide and they don't even know like about the Armenian genocide you know and so it's like these are things that you need to know or you people should know you know you have this ostensibly progressive news station named after genocide perpetrators and then you also have like I mean they have all kinds of uh, hypocritical abuses going on there they wouldn't let their staff unionize they're like they're not great um are we, yeah, are they're we kind open? of just like shitty people independent of politics I think. <laughs> dude yeah i heard him like being interviewed on um what's it called on current affairs podcast yeah and like i was just thinking like this guy is so like aggressive like if you ask yeah. him anything about his past he gets like so angry and like defensive and it's like you know people want to know why you denied a genocide <laughs> like yeah i like, remember discovering like the young turks like when i when kind of political YouTube start was like only beginning, you know, mm-hmm. um, which makes me feel so old. Um, but yeah, like Young Turks was one of the first like political YouTube channels, right? Mm-hmm. And first off, I was like, Cenk has this like, has this like way of being liberal that's like very broy, which is really funny and weird. Like he's like, yeah, I have progressive values, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. My, look, look at the testosterone coming off my feminism. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's always. Yeah. My boss is a fan. Oh my God. Is my she boss really? brings up Trump every single day. Does, and then does... she looks at me like, are you going to defend him? I'm like, no, I'm not going to defend him. It's <laughs> happening like every day. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, She's a fan of the young. Well, yeah. Ken, what do you do? What you do I do? Say, like the actual name of the company, but like. Oh, what do I do? I landscape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. 
yeah. Political, yeah. They Ken's landscaping crew, like they all have like these like ch- what what it sounds like to me is that there's always like a charged like tense political. No, discussion. two of the people, two of the people uh, left. That, that there was this one Friday where I said I was pro life, and this chick said she hopes I got raped by a big black cock, and it was like three hours of <laughs> yeah. like getting. Oh, that was a funny day. Also, it's like let's like deconstruct all the terrible yeah. parts of that oh, sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you for being right wing, but by the way, racism. Yeah, I mean, there's here. Here's a funny one. She's a good person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. I mean, some An people misspeak. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a bit a bit much. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I I don't have these charged discussions yeah. at work. That's such an intense way to like do landscaping. Like, <laughs> I think I think of landscaping as such a chill activity. You know, like you're like you're like shaving trees to look like rabbits or something. Yeah, I this 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 guy the company's chiller now because the main dude left who was always prodding me. Um, but and but before I was doing more construction landscaping and that was like so funny like, like people who like the, I almost want to say like the type of Trump supporter like the furthest like angry people slamming shit around. This one guy looked at me in the eye and said, "Yeah, bullying is a good thing," and like. <laughs> I was so, in hindsight, that's really funny, but I was like, surely you mean people should stand up for themselves. He's no bullying is a good thing. (laughs) I was like, okay, dude, I don't know how to react to that. Oh, okay. What company do you work for? (laughs) (laughs) No, this was like the one before when Ken worked with all these like macho guys and like they they were like saying that like you're gay and stuff. It's funny. I, Um, I used to work, so I know you don't expect this, but I literally, I used to work for a home rental company. uh Um, which no one thinks because I'm a fucking dork, um, but <laughs> uh, but I did so I did that in high school and stuff and like it was a super broy thing, yeah. Um, but like the landscape guys were always a bunch of hippies, oh, so it's just yeah, such yeah. a funny thing. To, it's yeah. like it's like the guys who like nail in nail in like you yeah. know cabinets for kitchens are like yeah yeah fuck that chick like yeah fuck that chick and that chick and that chick and the landscape work guys were like trees yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just you know it's it like a weird i've heard yeah. a lot of stories about roofers being like the hardest of the hardcore like yeah. six pack and the joint at lunch and then they get up on the roof and like stumble around <laughs> like all ex-cons like oh man you gotta love it i have this complex like i want to go back into like hard construction and like prove myself i can't get over it it's funny as it sounds i like i can't get past it like uh, what like wanting I just, psychologically like, good, was it just I like did, not a good fit for you but you're like i should still try and do it yeah i did it for like two years and it was like good for me like good for growth in an abstract way but right. i i never i never fit in at all it was weird mm. but i have like, this complex about like going back on a job site and getting in a fight with someone <laughs> it's not it's not mature but... oh yeah. my god you're gonna throw a chair at him you need oh, to like well, prove your manhood like pretty much that's what yeah, yeah. you're like yeah. i feel that yeah pull him out i feel like i need bro. to prove my manhood <laughs> no, Leela proves like, her manhood every day on twitter there's just like <laughs> she does there's like sometimes i feel like really overwhelmed with like a masculine like uh sort of like like, I just want to, like, fight. Yeah. It is really like, funny, because, like, I know a lot of, like, more lefty libertarian people who are, like, very just, like, 
sensitive, chill people, and Mila's like the most broy person I know. <laughs> my, I had this like, but one of my old roommates used to be like, Mila, like if you were a guy, you would be such a brocialist. And she's like, yeah, like you would like go up to chicks and be like, hey, babe, have you read Lennon? And like, I was like, oh my god, that's so true. I would yeah. definitely do that. Yeah, but still, like. To our listeners, babes, you should read Lennon. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, so now I'm picturing Mila like doing like the Mormon thing, like knocking on the door, like, "Have you heard of Lennon?" <laughs> oh my god. Like oh, now I'm picturing Mila as like the Chad meme format, like with the big chin, <laughs> <laughs> knocking on doors and like doors. a tiny shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's oh like she's god. got just like ridiculous Schwarzenegger muscles. Yeah, and oh she's like, god. yeah, and and yeah, she's the same size she is now, but uh, all her arms are like way jacked, way more yeah. jacked. Yeah, yeah, but all your arms are like ridiculous, like just like orangutan arms. And oh like, my god! And you're like knocking imagine. on doors, being like, "Have you read Lennon? Have you read Lennon? <laughs> so join the Swoletariat." Um, yeah that's exactly that's my plan well guys it's been it's been a a a solid hour and a half a little more actually um so i think it's good time as any to wrap it up um but thank you for joining uh, us thank you yeah thank you this is fun yeah thank you for tolerating my jokery no i learned a lot yeah, we, cool. we're full of knowledge. So, guys, uh, you can check out uh, Akiva's work. We'll link some articles in the comments and, or in the show notes. I'm still not even used to this. Uh, we are uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash unacceptablepodcast. If you want to uh, potentially access the unhinged episodes uh, at some point in, uh, in your life. All right. Uh, have we'll a... talk about that. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it. We probably won't actually give it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah.